KPFA in Berkeley, 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, and online at kpfa.org. The time is 3 p.m. Up next, cover to cover, open book. Welcome to Open Book. I'm Richard Walensky. My guest is Bill English, who is the artistic director of San Francisco Playhouse, currently showing Bengal Tiger at the Baghdad Zoo by Rajiv Joseph through November 16th. Bill English is also the director of this production. There are a lot of things to talk about, but let's start with Bengal Tiger at the Baghdad Zoo. I was looking over uh, SF Playhouse's mission, which is pretty much about using the theater to find compassion, making the community a better place, and certainly Bengal Tiger fits in with that. But specifically, what drew you to this play? I've been trying to get the rights to perform this play for five years since I read it after the Magic Theater did a reading of it long ago. They passed on it. The L.A. Taper Forum picked it up. They did two productions of it down there. It moved to Broadway. I think that there's something really magically unique about the voice of this play by putting the narration in the hands of a animal and then looking through his eyes or the playwright's imagined eyes of an animal at the war in Iraq and at the human foibles and the passions and the all the craziness that we humans are from that perspective. I just found it to be magnificently unique. It's a ghost story, and there are several ghosts wandering <laughs> through the play, including the Bengal tiger. When you first saw the play at the Magic, was it in similar condition to what it is now? Or? It was a reading, so it wasn't performed. But the script didn't change all that much from the time it was there to when it went to L.A., and then I also saw it in New York with Mr. Williams. That's really the same script we did. The Robin Williams version. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When you're creating something that's been on Broadway recently, what references do you use in terms of that other production? Do you even think of it at all? Do you try to put it out of your mind as the director? I thought of it, and I try to put it out of my mind. There were things I liked about it and things I didn't like about it. And perhaps because it was closer to the time of the American involvement in the war, now we have a little bit more distance. But at that time, the production seemed intent on condemning America and America's involvement in the war. And I felt that the purpose of the play was more universal than that and that the American soldiers that participated in this play were as much victims of a bad perspective as the other people in Iraq. How does that translate as a director? I mean, what kind of direction do you do that changes the focus from this specifically political focus to a more universal one? As we always do, I always try to get inside the heads of the characters and let the audience experience it from their point of view. For instance, the most important of the two American soldiers I wanted to make it clear that this young man, there was no chance that he would survive it. Given what he was prepared for and who he was to be plunged into this horror, that there was no way he would ever 
come out whole. And I think in some ways that's the point, is not that Americans are evil, but that war is does things to our children, which we don't prepare them for. But again, how do you do that? I mean, what is the specific thing you do to make that change, to let the audience know that this is what you're doing? How do you create that clarity? I think there were a lot of little things and some big things, I think, casting the most charming actor that I could find for the role, as opposed to someone who was angry by nature or vicious. I cast a young man who's just a sweet and pretty adorable person. That's for starters, because casting, as a lot of wise men have said, is like about 90% of directing. But then this character, for instance, says a lot of racist and sexist things. And he and I worked very hard on on having his motivation be more to parrot and fit in with his buddy who he looked up to rather than coming from passionately held beliefs. There's a subtle difference there. If my objective is to impress you with how cool I am, I'm saying this racist thing that I think you will appreciate rather than saying a racist thing which I deeply hold to be a part of my belief system. And that will come out in the actor's performance. Yes, absolutely. I don't know whether you thought it did. I felt that you'd moved into the universal. I mean, when I walked away and was discussing the play afterward, my thought was that it's basically an attack on the human condition and how we, <laughs> how we treat one another with the war in Iraq as an exemplar, which yeah. I guess is what you were driving at. And actually also, you know, the divinity comes in for some tough talk as well in the play, you know. Our idea of God and our idea of what God wants us to do is very seriously satirized and critiqued in the play most prominently by the tiger who bemoans the fact that why did God make him a predator and then punish him for praying? I think we look at our human characteristics and I think we feel victimized by our own natures to some degree, but in the end, the answer is not going to come from outside of us and the answer is a very existential one that we are the ones that define who we are. It's a touchy play because it doesn't have a single protagonist moving across a kind of standard, well-constructed plot mechanism like, say, Death of a Salesman or The Crucible, where, you know, we see a person on a journey. We have at least three protagonists in this play. You have the tiger, and then you have Kev, and then you have Musa. And I think what's wonderful about the play is it feels more like a tapestry or a, a collage of of different individuals moving in counterpoint as they t attack these questions of who am I, why am I here, and how should I act? And then you've got this ghost of the son <laughs> of Saddam Hussein. Yes, yeah, and he's part of the spectrum. He's part of the spectrum. I kept thinking of Camus' Caligula, because if you take a certain kind of existentialism and you are you are in charge of defining the meaning of your essence, then it is possible that you will end up with characters like Uday Hussein, who defends his Machiavellian amoral tendencies eloquently. He's the first one to tell Musa, you have to decide who you are. You have to decide what you want. 
It's very interesting. He's he's on the spectrum of this pursuit of identity. And Musov is Hussein's gardener who gets involved in various ways with the two American soldiers. Correct. So, yeah. And that's how it all draws together. Bill English, in a play like that or in most of the work you're working with, are there a lot of stage directions or are you pretty much free? There are stage directions in the text. I look at them for what deeper intentions the playwright may be trying to communicate but i never feel bound to perform them as written but that's still more permissible say than changing the words oh yeah you can't change the words you know in the theater the words of the playwright are sacred and the only way you can change them is to ask his or her permission Bill English, looking through past seasons and trying to compare San Francisco Playhouse to Marin, or, uh, Magic obviously has a very different program than most of the other theater companies. What do you think sets San Francisco Playhouse apart? What are you trying to do that's a little bit different than the other ones? Is there something? Well, for me, it comes down to this environment of creating an opportunity for the audience to fully enter into an empathetic relationship with the characters like i like to call our theater the empathy gym because it's a place we go to practice our powers of empathy you know it's difficult to be compassionate in everyday life all the things that happen to us on the street and in our lives where we've always got our guard up in the theater we're safe we get to sit in the dark and we can take a big chance on actually entering the experience of the characters my idea is that if i can if i can do everything i can to pick material and approaches to the play that will capitalize on that particular power of theater, then I feel like that drives my choices for plays. What would be something, say, in My Fair Lady that would do that? Because you did My Fair Lady a couple of seasons oh, yes. ago. Well, I thought My Fair Lady rang particularly in our time because it's definitely the last time in history when, she, when there was the biggest division between rich and poor. And My Fair Lady is definitely a 1%, 99% kind of play on one level. And on another level, it's about how we perceive each other as as extensions of the self and it's very 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 difficult for us to actually see another person for who they actually are the reason the pygmalion myth rings so profoundly over thousands of years really i mean it's a very 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 old story and i think the reason it rings in our hearts is because we all know it's true you know even to our partners in marriage or our our partners in business we project our own visions on them and struggle all our lives to actually really see people this kind of idea would carry over to whatever you're working on say the reinvention of camelot yeah, yes, absolutely, absolutely. The thing that appeals to me about Camelot is it's about the power and peril of dreams and ideals. You know, you take a man in the middle of the Dark Ages, and that's, I think, why the Arthurian legends have persisted so profoundly through the last, you know, thousand 1500 years is that this idealism this idea that man could be just and there could be a democratic society was born in the in the darkest darkest ages and that his ability to conceive of such a great ideal was in a way defeated by his own blindness and that idealism invariably blinds the idealist somewhat it seemed to me that 
what you did in that, and I've seen several productions, is by bringing back some of the cut material, which is the most medieval of the material. Correct. Yep. And leaving in the opening, which is almost a continuation of the sword and the stone. In fact, it is <laughs> it a is. continuation. Yeah, exactly. Um, what you achieved there was probably closer to the spirit of T.H. White than either the movie or the other versions I've seen, where you go from child cartoon to violent, bloody coup at the end. Disillusioned and defeated yeah. uh, monarch, defeated idealist, right? Defeated in a way by his own inability to recognize his his son, you know, his illegitimate son, his own inability to actually see his wife clearly for who she was, you know. We really enjoyed going through the T.H. White, especially with the story of Guinevere as a person who was basically bought. She was a piece of property who was traded for, like, land and cows. It's in the text. I noticed in the Correct. song, Then You Can Take Me to the Fair, it's treated usually as a comic song, as if she's kidding around when she says, behead them and kill them, but you play it straight. Yep, and then we took the violence of the joust, which is usually off stage, and talked about, and we brought it right on stage, so the, the death and the violence was kind of right in front of the audience. Bill English. Some of the other shows coming up, Storefront Church by John Patrick Shanley, uh, Joy Carlin, who is a local favorite. Berkeley legend. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> is yeah. the director of this. This show was pretty recent. It was an off-Broadway uh, about a little over a year ago. How did you get hold of it? What's the story? Well, I believe we're the second production of it. You know, I troll the newspapers, the New York Times, for reviews and stumbled across this review. I don't think it got much notice. It was Atlantic Theater Company. It was at the Atlantic Theater Company. It actually opened the theater after a major renovation, and Mr. Shanley himself directed it. And I think it kind of fell between the cracks. When I read it, I was just blown away how deep it is and how directly it confronts the conflict between our need to get by physically in the world and our need to find a spiritual connection i just was thought wow this is this is definitely going to the heart of the matter so you asked for a copy of the play and you i said, did i had to order a manuscript because it wasn't published how much of, of theater is serendipity that way you think well, I don't know whether I'd call that serendipity. I was out looking for something. I constantly go to New York five or six times a year in London at least once. I'm always looking. Stuff comes your way, though. It's true. In many ways, you know, every story is a different one. So many people are giving me advice about plays they think I should do, and I take almost all of it pretty seriously. You're listening to an interview with Bill English, who's the artistic director of SF Playhouse in San Francisco. Bengal Tiger at the Baghdad Zoo continues through November 16th. Bill English, what happens when you run into conflict with Marin or Berkeley Rap or ACT? Do you? There is a competition for the rights to the most valuable material. We often find ourselves in a situation where the more established theaters, you know, went out in their pursuit of a great property. I think a play that I was very, very interested in doing, um, because I saw, I saw it in previews actually in New York, and I actually had read it before that because a good friend of mine is the agent of the playwright and had sent it to me. It's a play called Tribes, and I'm putting in a little plug for the upcoming Berkeley Rep production here, but I went after Tribes, and you know, in a, in a straight-on contest between Berkeley Repertory Theater and San Francisco Playhouse, San Francisco Playhouse is probably going to lose. 
And then sometimes we win out. You know, there was a play we did last year. I guess I could be self-editing and call it the mother with a hat. Initially, Berkeley Rep had the rights to do that play. And for one reason or another, they they passed on it. And I had my ear to the door, as it were. And, and actually, I think Tony actually let me know that that had happened. And I managed to get myself next in line in the mad scramble for the rights to that wonderful play. Do you see yourself more as colleagues or competitors that way? Colleagues. We all know what the game is, and we've all been the victors and losers in the competitive aspects of it. But what's good for all theaters is good for me. And so I don't really waste much time gnashing my teeth over who gets to do what play. There's a lot of them in it. And sometimes the one you don't get makes you go out and dig deeper and you find something that fits your mission better. An artistic director is trying to sense something that's intangible in the air about what the culture would like to see and what kinds of works of art are going to reflect our culture back to us in a way that will help us understand ourselves better. And everyone will do it a little differently and everybody has a little different, like antenna, you know, up into the air. Well, it also means that if, say, you know, Jason Minadakis sees something and wants to grab it and you pass, on some level, he's going to do a better job because he was drawn to it rather than you. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, you know, it's a tough business and it's a tough job putting plays up on a professional level and you you damn well better better really want to do it you know or you're probably not going to do a very good job you know it's so difficult bill english the next show is a commission work bauer by lauren gunderson uh, i'm a little bit fearful of world premieres because they're usually nowhere near as polished as we get to see, I kind of give the magic a pass because that's their specialty. Right. But right. for a place like SF Playhouse, what does that mean to you? I mean, well, we've done three or four of them. Our first one was a play called First Person Shooter, which we did four or five years ago, and it was a play about school violence. It was a big hit for us, and I had really never thought of myself as a producer of new work before that, and and that one came to me very serendipitously when I had a TBA spot to fill, and a casting director sent it to me while I was tearing my hair out of her. I didn't have a good choice for this position. She sent me this script, and I had decided by the time I got five pages into it that we were going to do it, and it was by Aaron Loeb. And then we did another play of his the next year called uh, Abraham Lincoln's Big Gay Dance Party. That was a world premiere. Um, we did a play called The First Day of School by Billy Aronson, world premiere. And then we have our series. We have our Sandbox series, which is a, a smaller presentation of two world premieres every year that we do in a kind of a bare-bones 50-seat theater. But the thing that's different about Bauer, and I guess the thing that's scariest of course, is that it's our own commission. So it's a play that we commissioned uh, Lauren Gunderson to write, and it's the first of our commissions to make it to our main stage theater. So that's why it's a big deal for us. And then comes Seminar by Teresa Rebeck, and I've seen a couple of her plays, and they're wonderful. This one played Broadway. It's about four writers who pay for a seminar with a professor and what happens with them. And with Rebeck, it's always about I guess the dialogue seminar itself 
Because you were on the lookout for plays by people like Rebeck, is that why you managed to grab it? We uh, actually did the first production of a Teresa Rebeck play in the Bay Area with a play called The Scene that we actually subsequently um, made into a film with the two women that were in our production, directed by Amy Glazer, who directed the original version of our play. So Teresa is somebody we... We love, and we're returning to her after a few years' absence. She's just got the ability to capture the rhythms and tempos of contemporary human dialogue. The final show, Bill English, of the season, Into the Woods, uh, directed by your wife. Susie's going to drag into the woods, yeah. What made you choose that, particularly since there was a recent, couple of recent Broadway versions that's actually now... Uh, an English, a new English version. There's a movie coming out. It's a play that I've always really loved. And um, actually, we were going to do it last year. And the rights were given to a, in addition to us, to a small amateur theater company nearby. And so we decided that it wouldn't be smart for us all to do it at the same time. So we waited a year. That's that's one reason. Into the Woods is just a great piece of theater. You know, it takes the eternal tales of the Grimm brothers and gives you both the level at which a child can enjoy those tales and then gets deeper into the Freudian. And Bettelheim was, yeah. was a huge influence on uh, James Lapine when they wrote that. So, you know, I think it's it's such an eternal story. And it hasn't been done professionally in San Francisco in a very long time. A lot of people would look at our most of our selections and wonder why San Francisco Playhouse is doing musicals. And yet we always have, you know, we did we did the in the first season we did the Fantastics and so I guess I love theater and I love all the things that theater can do and you know, I want to do every one of them. So musicals have always had a place in our there's another element I've noticed with musicals. I'm not sure how true it is. Maybe it's also true with plays, but it doesn't. The focus isn't there. Is musicals seem to allow for more room for reinvention, and I'm not sure why. Well, that may be true. Certainly it's true of Shakespeare. People are always coming up with a new concept for how to do, you know, Macbeth or Hamlet or something. But I know we've we've done some kind of reinventions with musicals. We did a Man from La Mancha a while ago that we set in a not-too-distant future where uh, some dirty bomb had exploded in some major city and the Homeland Security was jailing people for who they were related to and stuff, you know. So it had gotten into an inquisitional atmosphere and we, we set it in the basement of a warehouse and and uh, people were brought down by elevator, and they had a wristband, which they could be shocked with if they were bad. And the audience simply had to suspend their disbelief a little farther to believe that Cervantes was a contemporary writer doing a story about a 14th century crazy night. And I think it worked pretty well. We did a production of The Fantastics a couple years ago because I had been played El Gallo in our original one, and I kept 
hearing that line, try to remember the kind of September when grass was green and grain was yellow. I kept thinking, well, is this a time when grass isn't green and grain isn't yellow? And so we said it in a sort of a drought-stricken sort of uh, global warming world where this troop of traveling players, kind of seventh seal-like, kind of wandering the landscape trying to keep this little show alive, and they they were rationed water, and then when they sang Soon It Was Gonna Rain, they were really, really hoping that it would rain. It was fun. Bill English, SF Playhouse has been around 10 years. You said before that you were an actor and director, did all kinds of things. What prompted you and uh, Susie to start your own theater company? Our experiences working for other theater companies and not liking the way they did things. Since I was 15, I was reading plays and imagined myself putting together seasons. We just walked down the street one day and saw a for rent sign in a building which had never been for rent before. And when we inquired, we found out that it was an, an old abandoned women's social club that had a really nice little auditorium on, on, on the second floor and a little ballroom on the front. And they were willing to rent it to us on a month-to-month basis. So we thought, oh, why don't we go on up there and put up a show? And then, well, that was fun. Let's put up another show. And by the third one, we had decided that we were going to keep doing it. The first four were just picked show by show. But then we went and picked five shows to do in the second season. And it was probably a pretty crazy thing to do because we never had a lease on the place. We could have been booted out at any time. And we actually, in the third year, started a subscription campaign and had almost 300 subscribers in our first year when we didn't have a lease on the theater. The reason we could only get it month to month was because it was slated for a retrofit. And we knew that was coming. We also could see that the people managing the building were very disorganized. And so it took them nearly three years to get it together. And by the time they did, we actually had found a place across the street that was a theater company that was moving out. And so we literally bucket brigaded the whole theater across the street. I wish I had a stop motion film of that. (laughs) At what point do you think SF Playhouse made the transition from being just a theater company that might survive another year (laughs) to being one of the more important theater companies in the area? I think it was pretty gradual. Up until the last two or three years, we've definitely been hanging on by our fingernails financially, but the last couple of years, the last... The last season at our 533 address was just a huge lift in box office and fundraising. So it seemed like in the ninth season, it just sort of came into its own. A lot of people say it takes 10 years to build most anything. And and then at the end of the ninth season, we were just bursting at the seams, turning people away. And suddenly out of the blue, this venue a block away at 450 Post became available and we were able to move into a bigger, much more prestigious venue. On the other hand, you look up at the stage, whereas before you kind of, the stage was more on the same level. It changes, it changes how the audience views. There is a distancing, I think. Yeah. A bit, I think. Did you make it to the old venue? I uh, saw a period of adjustment. Okay, there, yeah. right. Well, there you are. You put, you can put your feet on the stage in period of adjustment. And if you don't get out of the way, the actors will step on your foot. <laughs> <laughs> so in this theater, the, ele- the audience is about as elevated as Marin Theater Company or the small Berkeley Rep Theater. So it's, 
it's a little different. We haven't had too many complaints. I have people say, oh, I miss the old theater. But they don't say they wish we would go back. Phil English, here we are in November. You don't get to announce a new season until sometime late next spring, I would gather. How written in stone at this stage of the game is next season? I'm really just getting started. I have a bunch of balls up in the air. Plays that I've applied for the rights for that I haven't found out about yet. A couple of big ones that I'm sure I'm going to go head-to-head with Berkeley Rep for. Maybe another original play that we've done a reading of that I'm excited about. Probably a musical. I'm really just getting started. Part of the problem is that because we are smaller, we tend to get beat out in the competition for hot properties by the bigger theaters. So I kind of have a tendency to hang back a little bit. You've been listening to an interview with Bill English, who is the artistic director of SF Playhouse. And you can find out more about SF Playhouse by going to their website, sfplayhouse.org. Bengal Tiger at the Baghdad Zoo by Rajiv Joseph plays through November 16th. I'm Richard Walensky on Open Book. For more information about this show, go to bookwaves.com, where you'll also find an extended version of this interview. that the Peace and Justice Center of Sonoma County will be honoring whistleblowers past and present at its annual Peacemaker Awards and Fundraiser November 9th at the Sebastopol Community Center, 390 Morris Street in Sebastopol. This is a benefit for the Peace and Justice Center. Everybody is invited to share in the good food and wine and presentation of awards for Peacemaker of the Year, Courage of Commitment, Unsung Hero, and Organization of the Year. Located in downtown Santa Rosa, the Peace and Justice Center of Sonoma County has been home base for local activist organizations for the past 29 years. The event begins at 5 p.m. with local wine, hors d'oeuvres, and music of the Americas, performed by De Colores. The Sebastopol Community Center is wheelchair accessible. For more, please call the Peace and Justice Center at 707-575-8902.